0: Should be brought to us by Mr. Barnabas Grayson entitled Rededication. Good afternoon, everyone. <clears throat> it is a good afternoon because we're able to be here eyes a see, ears to hear, comfy little chairs where you can fall asleep in, you know. <laughs> the title of the message this afternoon is Rededication. Rededication. In John chapter 10, verse 22, it says, And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, which uh, is, means renewal. And it was winter, just like it is today. It's winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. That's, that's his colonnade. Now, what is this Feast of Dedication that we read about here? Dedication is a term that means being devoted to a purpose or a task or some action that we have in mind. To rededicate is to, like, redevote ourselves to that task or to that uh, purpose. In our personal life today, we find ourselves being dedicated to certain things. It might be our job. Our family, our diet, our exercise, our children, our Bible study. You know, whatever it might be that makes for good, makes for a good cause in our life. But sometimes along the way, we lose focus. We forget the aim, we forget our purpose, and we we may not be as dedicated as we used to be we're not as dedicated, I'm not as dedicated as I used to be to diet and exercise, but we begin missing our aim. There are things around us that, you know, can distract us, it can go against us, we can go off track, we can get sidetracked, and we can lose our way. Now it's one thing when it's due to things that we can't control or have no control over, but it's another when it's our own doing due to our own weakness or lack of foresight. We're all weak, we all have human nature, and um, things that come along in our life, that kind of puts things on hold for a little bit. And some of you may notice that I probably have what Art has and what some of the others have had this past week. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, uh, uh, set a watch on my mouth. (laughs) Sometimes I wonder if it might be laryngitis or something in the throat that kind of makes you do that. But uh, <clears throat> I think I can uh, finish up. Might even take two hours to do it, but we'll get there. But anyway, there are things that can distract us from our purpose and our aim. And when that happens, it calls for rededication. That's a re-consecrating our life to God. To Christ and to the purpose for which uh, we are aiming toward, and so daily prayer should be a part of that rededication, Bible st- regular Bible study, and uh, and meditation. Now, during Passover, we examine ourselves, and we're made mindful that we that we need the saving power of Jesus Christ as our high priest to cover our sins and help us in our weaknesses, to give us strength for the coming year and help us to continue in our devotion to God and to righteousness. But as long as we live, we're always going to have a struggle against the pulls of our flesh because, you know, some of these things might take a lifetime to overcome. But we have to do this. Sometimes it's hard to rededicate, to devote ourselves because we know it takes a lot of effort. But we have Christ to strengthen us. So we can do it joyfully and we can, we can do it patiently. And the reason we do that is because we know that there is a reward ahead. As Christ said, I go to prepare a place for you. So uh, we have a place that is coming in the temple of God. Now what is this feast of dedication that we read here in John uh, chapter 10? Tomorrow at sundown begins an eight-day holiday called Hanukkah. It begins uh, tomorrow's the 8th, I believe, and it will last until until the 14th. Hanukkah, as you know, is a Jewish celebration. It's an occasion for parties, for singing, and and for games. And it is mostly a home-oriented holiday. But it's a time that many look forward to because it's a time when small gifts or even more elaborate gifts are given uh, to children as though to compete with you know the uh, commercialization of christmas hanukkah falls midway between the feast of tabernacles and the feast of the ta- uh, passover and it can be seen as a time of cheer and hope that helps one through the gloomy days of winter but this holiday this feast of dedication is not found either in the law or the prophets or the writings that is just anywhere in the Bible or, or the Jewish uh, Tanakh. So Hanukkah is rooted back to a time after a long struggle. The second temple in Jerusalem was rededicated for traditional worship. So here, here's what happened. It was, it was in 167 BC. The second temple had been uh, looted and service there was put to a stop by Syrian occupiers, the Seleucids. And Jerusalem was prohibited from practicing their religion. And circumcision, of course, was banned. And that was important to the Jews because that was what made them God's uh, elect. That's what set them apart from the other nations. But it was at that time that this king Antiochus, the Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes, he ordered an altar to be built in the temple of God so that pigs could be sacrificed to Zeus, the Greek god of the sky, who's also known as the All Father or the chief of the gods. And so he wanted to stamp out the Jewish religion, and he wanted to dedicate this temple to Zeus, whose Roman uh, uh, equivalent is uh, the Roman god Jupiter. Now, the Syrian policy was to Hellenize the land of Palestine by eliminating Jewish practices and which were in worship of God. Hellenize is a term that means to imitate, to imitate the Greeks with all their culture, all their language, and their religions that they had and the various gods and beliefs like this mythical Zeus. You can see this uh, name mentioned uh, in Acts 14 and 28, we won't go there, but in Greek mythology, (coughs) there was a noble woman of Phoenicia who was abducted by this Zeus fellow, and and she gave birth to a king, a king named Menos of Crete. This woman's name in mythology was Europa, the name, you know, was Europe got their name after this this, uh, uh, woman of Phoenicia. And depictions of Zeus are as a strong, middle-aged man with a beard, sometimes a mustache, and sometimes just stubble on his face. But he's depicted as often as a bull. Depicted as a bull, if you look at the Greek uh, two-euro coin, you see this depiction of the bull. And it's also on the uh, United Kingdom identity card for visa holders. Anyway, the desecration of the temple. And this attempt to eliminate the Jewish religion led a Jewish revolt against assimilation into into Hellenistic culture and religion. So along came a group of warriors. They were called the Maccabees, and the name means the Hammers. And this was led by Judah Maccabee or Yehuda Hamakabi. And so there was war between one sixty five and one sixty seven. They sought to reclaim the temple, to restore it for proper worship and regain freedom of religion. Now, when the Maccabees, and you know, this story is found in, in a book called uh, Book of Maccabees. When these Maccabees finally gained control of Jerusalem, they went to rededicate the temple. So they got rid of the defiled objects. They replaced them. And in the process, they found a single flask of oil with the seal of the high priest still on it, as the story goes. It was found intact. Now, one of the requirements for the temple was for the menorah or the candelabrum to be lit each evening and kept burning and with the oil that was consecrated for that purpose. But what they found that was on hand was not enough for the eight-day celebration and rededication of the temple because for a fresh supply of oil, it would take uh, eight days and the priests were going to have to wait. But as the story goes, the priests took what they had that was, in, that was left over there in the oil that was sealed. And they lit the menorah for worship. And the next day, there was just enough oil for the second day's worship. And as the story goes, the third day, the fourth day, and so on until the eighth day. On that one day's supply, this, uh, the menorah was able to uh, be lit for all that time, which was to them a miracle, which was a miracle. So one day's worth of oil lasted the entire eight days, and this miracle gave rise to the uh, eight-day festival known as Hanukkah. Hanukkah. The word means uh, rededication. In Harper's Bible Dictionary, uh, I'll make a few quotes from here. Uh, on the 25th of Keslev, 164 B.C., three years to the day after the pollution of the altar, the new altar was dedicated with sacrifices, song, music, and joyful worship for eight days. Uh, the people determined that those eight days of dedication should be celebrated annually, beginning with the 25th of Keslev, which is, you know, December, beginning tomorrow for them. And Hanukkah... <coughs> Thus became the only Jewish festival not ordained in the Hebrew Bible. And, you know, they keep it much like we would keep Thanksgiving, which, you know, is not in the Bible, but we keep it. Because it's one of those things in which, you know, if there's, any, if there's whatsoever is good, whatsoever is pure and honest, you know, think on those things. So it was suggested that the eight days of celebration copy uh, Solomon's consecration of the temple. And Hanukkah, Uh, All the testimony points to the intention to celebrate Hanukkah as a second Feast of Tabernacles. So, at that time, uh, it was apparently the relighting of the temple, candelabras, that led to the festival also taking the name of lights. Now, (coughs) in our world today, in our world today, the society around us seeks to absorb us in its ways. And it makes a light of things, you know, it shines in a, in a different direction than when that we're supposed to be going. It seeks to recruit members into its various entities and its, maybe its secret societies, its clubs, its, its way of things. And if we're not watchful, we can be drawn into the waywardness of this world's ideas and religion, which would be into a culture of violence, into a culture of hatred, godlessness, and worship of idols, and so on. So in John 10, verse 22, there was this occasion in which Jesus was in Jerusalem at that festive time. And there was this, an observance of the uh, uh, consecration of the temple going on. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then, Came the Jews, these religious leaders around about him, and they said unto him, how long do you make us to doubt? If you be the Christ, the Messiah, the one, you know, the one sent by God to restore the kingdom and save Israel, tell us plainly, tell us openly. You can imagine, you know, this, in this day that, you know, there would be a bunch of reporters with their microphones and they were all surrounding Jesus and they were wanting wanting him, well, tell us publicly. Tell us uh, 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 that you're the Messiah. Don't, don't just leave us in the dark. Tell us. But Jesus in verse 25 answered them, I told you and you believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name or that is by his authority, they bear witness of me. All the miracles that, you know, that we've seen in the New Testament and even miracles that aren't even recorded in the New Testament because, because he did many. These are works that can only bear the power of God behind them. But in verse 26, but you believe not. You don't believe because you're not of my sheep, he's telling them, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Won't be able to pluck them out of Christ's hands. Won't be able to pluck them out of the Father's hands. I and my Father are one. So the Jews took up stones to uh, again to stone him. They always want to throw stones at him. Anyway, in this, you know, we find some very some things that are very important. To our life. To our personal Christian life. Christ knows every one of us. He knows you. He knows where you live. He knows what you do. Because you're written in the book of life. He ha- you're the apple of his eye. The student. The disciple of his eye. He knows you because you listen to the voice of his son. And you follow him. And you believe his words. That he is the son of God. And that he promises everlasting life. You know, in this world today, our life sometimes is so bogged down with troubles and trials, and it makes our, you know, life sometimes not worth living for some people. But when you look ahead at the life that is promised that is ahead of us, this is something that we want to aspire toward, a purpose for which we live. And he promises eternal life, and we believe this because of who Jesus was. He was found at the temple, there on the portals, waiting and watching on this uh, day of uh, feast of dedication. And we know that Jesus is our spiritual temple, that he is our go-to person, our savior, our high priest. We also are a spiritual temple, as, as we have read. Now, let's continue in verse 14 uh, of John chapter 2. And found in the temple those that sold oxen, and sh- uh, this is back up, uh, verse 14 in John 2. And found in the temple those that sold ox- oxen, and sheep, and doves, and the changers of money, sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, you know, he went aside and fashioned up some small uh, cords, a scourge, and he drove them all out of the temple. And the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the money changers table, uh, change. Uh, money and overthrew the tables, and he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, get them out of here. Make not my father's house a house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign <coughs> shall you unto us, seeing that you do these things? Where's your authority? Where are you getting your your power to do all this? And Jesus answered. Wise in his answers. Jesus answered. He said unto them. Destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews. Well 46 years was this temple in building. And will you rear it up in three days? Ha ha. But he spake of the temple of the body, spake of the temple of the body, of his body, because in him was the Holy Spirit, in him was the Holy Spirit that is shared with each and every one of us. Verse 22, when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And we know uh, if you continue on after three days and three nights, Christ was resurrected. Uh, Spirit of God raised him up. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 14. And God has both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid, what, know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. One spirit in righteousness, in law, and in attitude, and in dedication. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we read in verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. For other, uh, now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. It shall be revealed by a test and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And then dropping down to 16, It says, don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If you have ears to hear, eyes to see, then you can see what is written in the word of God, that they are meant for our understanding. We hear his voice. Verse 17, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. If any man defile the temple of God. Him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no man deceive himself, if any man among you seems to be wise in this world. Let him become a fool, that he may be wise. So, well, what we are doing today, in dedicating ourselves to the aim and to the purpose of Christ, uh, will it stand up to the test? I don't have this one down, uh, Brian, but I want to go to Matthew uh, chapter 5 and read the tiny print here. Chapter 5, I think I've made this reference to. Oh, in verse uh, uh, 15, he was talking to Peter. He's tell, uh, uh, Peter's wanting to know about this parable that Christ gave. And Jesus said to Peter and to all of us today, because we're in a red letter here, Are you also yet without understanding? Do not you yet understand that Whatsoever enters in at the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out in the draughts. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth out of the heart, from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, uh, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man... But to eat with unwashing hands, they don't defile not a man. So, the, if you want to defile your temple, this is what you would be doing. But this is what we're not supposed to do. <clears throat> so, we are built upon the foundation that is, that is laid in the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and our Savior. So, what we're, what we're doing in our life today, you know, we have, we have to ask ourselves, will, we, will it stand up to the test? Are we doing, or are we doing foolishly, in some way, because there is a time coming when our life in Jesus will be put to de- put to the test. So we must not be in the habit uh, of going against the nature of uh, of God. Second Thessalonians uh, chapter two. Uh, I'll start in verse 1 there. It says, We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor uh, uh, by word nor by letter as from us, as at the day of uh, Christ is at hand. Then verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition so we see that is that there's a time coming when many are going to deliberately abandon their faith not you know not necessarily leaving the church but many are just going to fall away from the moral standards you know we say we are a christian nation but yet we set the bible on the shelf and it gathers dust and we forget the instruction the guidelines that are there that will point the way to salvation but the time is coming when all that is going to be abandoned uh, uh, and morals and we can see that in our world today not only in, in other nations but we also see it in our nation today and it happens little by little over time to individuals like uh, like it can happen to us you know when sometimes suddenly uh, there are situations that might be enforced upon us and uh like upon, you know, God's people or his temple. Uh, sometimes, you know, these things can be enforced upon us that are that force us out of the way of worship. Now, as time goes on, we know that Satan's work is going to become more evident in life because we see it in the world around us as it becomes, you know, it, it, like it's blossoming. And that this man of sin, in verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Whatever this uh, is coming to, whatever the philosophy of this, of this uh, man of sin is going to be, whatever misdirection he's going to take us, you know, has, has yet to be seen, but it's going to be set up. Going, it's going to be tried uh, try to set up in our minds. So, you know, when we read about this, uh, this he as God sits in the temple of God, you know, this, this description leads us to believe that the, Jeru- that, you know, the Jerusalem temple will, will have to be rebuilt before Christ returns. But dropping down to verse 5, uh, remember, remember you not, you know, this word remember, we see this quite often. In scripture, remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. You know, we have a tendency to forget things, don't we? And now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. This, this mystery of lawlessness. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. It's going to go on. And you know how people are. They're trying to always find the source of some evil to find, uh, you know, what cause uh, a killing or or murder or something. It's because of this mystery of iniquity that people just don't want to find as a source of all these problems and troubles that we have in the world. But then it's going to go on, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan... With all power and signs and lying wonders. So we know that there will first come these uh, miracles, these impressive miracles, so much so that it's it's going to fool uh, the world, except for a very few. Christ, we know, did many miracles while he was on earth that he showed. But yet, even then, the people didn't believe him. They didn't trust in his miracles. They claimed he was something other than who he said he was. They didn't believe him. And here we see a, a time when, uh, coming when people are going to fall for miracles and be deceived by them of, you know, uh, of a false Christ doing all these counterfeit miracles. Verse 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of... Of the truth that they might be saved. So. To, today many. Are so far away. They've gone so far away. Uh, that. You know. You read elsewhere where it says. Remember where it says they call bad. Uh, good. And they have left behind. Faith in Christ. And in his word. Verse 11. And for this cause. Shall. Uh, cause God shall send them. Strong delusion. You know, he's going to allow whatever man has, whatever he can contrive to, to mislead man, uh, that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned to believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So their way of thinking, the, the, the way that they're going is going to be uh, punished. They're going to be made to see the light in a time to come. Because they have followed the wrong way, who believe not the truth. They've, you know, got to be reawakened. But we are bound to give thanks, and that's us. We're bound to give thanks, as Paul's saying. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Because God has, from the beginning, beginning, chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's our aim. That's what we're striving for. That's why we struggle to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, our Lord Jesus himself and God, even our father, which has loved us, and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So, you know, at this time, we need comforting. We need some direction. We need some counseling. And we know that as we see things in this world take place, you know, we kind of lose sight of just what's ahead of us in the good run. Revelation chapter 13 Uh, This is, you know, John, you know, he is standing upon the sand of the sea. He saw this beast rise up out of the sea. It had seven heads, ten horns, and upon his horns were ten crowns. And upon his heads were the name of blasphemy. Remember those? And the beast, he uh, said he saw, was like unto a leopard. It had the feet of a bear, the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power. And his seat and great authority. So that's great power. In verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying who is like unto the beast. Who is able to make war with him. He's so powerful. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things. And. Blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue 42 months and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and then that dwell in heaven and it was given unto him to also make war with saints and to overcome them and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written. In the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Verse 9 tells us that if any man hear, let him hear. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. But here is the patience and faith of the saints. And in verse 11, he says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying to them that dwell on the earth. That they should make an image to the beast. These miracles and his power was so stupendous. You know, let's make, a, let's make an image to this beast. Which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak. And cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he caused all both, small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark... In their right hand, that no man might buy or sell, except he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score and six. You know, that's six, six, six. You know, everybody knows what that, what the, you know, that means. Now, this number has been applied to many prominent men. In history and even to even to the, to the present. But yet no one is sure. But the time will come. I say that quite often. The time will come when it will be made perfectly known to God's people. It has to be. Because any time you see this wicked power uh, being exercised as, as described in these verses. Uh, it makes it obvious that Satan. That the Antichrist. That the man of sin is at work. And when you see those numbers, it's, the number only confirms, will only confirm that it is the, the beast. So, our life really depends upon our dedication to God through Jesus, our Savior. After all, you know, God had done for his people, we read, you know, throughout the Old Testament and honored, you know, Israel, they began to backslide, and that was to the Lord's displeasure, and He allowed some bad things to happen. He casted out the heathen that were before them. He delivered them an inheritance by line. And he made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. But there was a falling away. In Psalm 78, in verse 56, it says, They tempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not his testimonies. But turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful uh, bow. For they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel. So he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. He gave his people over also unto the sword, and was wroth with his inheritance. So we see backsliding is a turning from God to evil, to old ways, to idolatry, from minding heavenly uh, um, worldly things more than the heavenly, and even from turning to another gospel. First Corinthians chapter ten. Uh, uh, I don't want to read too many scriptures because I could lose some of you. Uh, Verse 1. But moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual food. And did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But, with many of them, God was not well pleased, because they were overthrown in the wilderness. You know, they went back to doing the things and wanted to go back to the world that they had come in, from the ways that they had come in. Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's all they had on their mind. That's all they wanted to do. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day uh, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. So you see how these things that they went back to doing begin to uh, be ruinous in their life. Again. Verse 11, now all these happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall, and there has no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So we know from our own life's experience that sometimes when we are in a trial or trouble, uh, we, we have that scripture that we can remember. Uh, verse 14, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. So we need to avoid those things that can cause uh, backsliding. Like in Proverbs sixteen eighteen: 18, you know, uh, pride goes before destruction, you know, being haughty, uh, having a haughty spirit comes before a fall. In Exodus 17, 3, uh, murmuring, we we read that a while ago, and uh, they murmured against Moses. Now, 2 Peter chapter 1, another uh, thing to avoid is to, you know, be spiritually blind. Because, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of... Of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Through lust. I'm just going to highlight verse 5. About uh, faith. About virtue and knowledge. And temperance and patience and godliness. And in verse 7 brotherly kindness. And charity. In verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound. They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we can picture ourselves as a tree, and, and, and hanging from uh, these, uh, this tree are these leaves that have each of these things written on them. Patience, you know, a virtue, a godliness. Uh, those need to be growing in our life so that when we can look at it, we can see, well, you know, there's patience. You know, look at all these virtues that are growing there. So... In Psalms, somewhere it says that uh, uh, he shall be a tree that grows by the riverside, which in season yields its fruit. Uh, But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off. They don't really realize how important these virtues that are listed here are. They can't see afar off. And they have forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren... Give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Let's go on to Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 3. And let's just uh, go on down to verse 14. we We'll skip uh, those... Scripture's there. And it uh, says, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. For I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to uh, Zion. And previous verse says, Only acknowledge uh, your iniquity. In Romans chapter 12 now, uh, verse 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know, when they wanted to reconsecrate the temple, they wanted for all those things to continue. Now, in the scripture, uh, God does not want us to die for him, but to live for him. Suicide in the name of God, as you know some do, while taking vengeance on others, is not what we see in this verse. Verse t- uh, 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, things that can transform us, we look at the internet, you know, things uh, things like that. Uh, The society uh, in which we live is transforming our society. It's transforming our world in many ways. And the voices and images that we see coming across, uh, we have access to, you know, at the push of a button. they can either harm or can help our lives. So we need to be careful. So we need to be, uh, here, here are some of the things that we need to be rededicated in doing, in renewing our mind, lest we lose them. Verse 10 of Romans chapter 12. Be kindly affectioned one to another, with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not sloth, uh, slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, blessing them which persecute you, and bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another, and mind not high things. Uh, verse 17, recompense to no man for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, and if it be possible, as much as lieth lies in you, live peaceably with all men. But we know that there are some individuals, or some groups, who have it in for others, you know, just for peace and harmony. Uh, It's just not possible. So we're to be wise as serpents and harmless, yet harmless as doves. I have about 20 minutes of scripture here that I'm going to try to finish in five minutes. In Romans chapter 13, it says this to us. "Owe no man, anything but to love one another, for he that loves another has fulfilled the law. This, we know, is a spiritual obligation. It's like a debt, something that's owed. It's a payment that's due, and it can only be paid by love. For this, verse 9, thou shalt not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended or understood in this saying namely you shall love your neighbor as yourself love, love works no ill to his neighbor therefore love is the fulfilling of the law and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe the night is far spent the day is at hand let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light So we know we don't want to sink back, uh, back into darkness. We don't want to give up our trust and our faith in Christ. We are to come out of the dark and into the light, you know, while it is day. Christ said uh, there's darkness coming. The night comes when no man can work. But verse 14, but put you on the Lord Jesus and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Matthew 5, you are the light of the world, verse 14, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, and neither do men light a candle and put it you know, under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. So let your light shine uh, before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. <clears throat> Verse 20, I'll skip, out, skip on down to verse 20, if you will. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, this m- means that we should be just as dedicated to God as the Pharisees were in everything that they did. Being dedicated to God, to his word in our life. Ephesians chapter 6. Skip on over to that book. We know in verses 10 through 13 that ours is a spiritual warfare. And we're told to put on the whole armor of God to be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. And he's out there every day trying trying to penetrate that armor in some way. If you forget one part of it, uh, you're going to be weak in a lot of areas. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. 2 Timothy 1 uh, tells us that we are to stir up the spirit, to, in a way, rededicate our life and, and not give up. Paul here is speaking to Timothy, who for you know, one reason or another needed uh, his faith uh, bolstered, needed, uh, needed some encouragement for some reason or other. And he, t- and he tells uh, Timothy, when I call to rem- remembrance, when I remember the unfeigned faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in you also. Wherefore I put you in remembrance, that you stir up the gift of God which is in you by the putting on of my hands." God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. So we know how this, the Holy Spirit is given. It's given upon a repentance. It makes us his holy people. It brings us out as a holy people, as separate, and we're to remain so. And we're, we're sanctified by, by the Ten Commandments. The Holy Spirit is our guiding light. In Psalm 119, verse 105, it says... Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Now in the last days, many prophets, false prophets are going to arise. Iniquities going to abound. And the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved in this gospel. Shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. But when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel... Stand in the holy place, uh, then let him who reads understand. So, to get a hold on those things that are going to come to pass, you know, you have to look back to to what the prophets have written. Now, when we receive a gift, it's something that we really desire. It's something that we really want. And it's something that is very valuable to us. uh, And that would be the gift of God's Holy Spirit. But over time, we know that love can wane. And it's not good if we let, let go of the light that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. The last uh, chapter, Revelation chapter 2, uh, writing to the church of Ephesus, uh, he, uh, Christ said, I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them which are evil. And you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And have born and have patience and for my name's sake have labored and have not fainted. So these, you know, apparently know the right way. They were doing the right things and they're strong and active in doing them. But they were leaving out something. They became uh, unloving in some way. At first they really had love for each other because Ephesians, uh, where Paul wrote in Ephesians, uh, he said he uh, ceased not to give thanks for them, making mention of them in his prayers, because he heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all the saints. Now, in verse 4 of Revelation, we read this, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you, because you have left your first love. So, you know, they had first had love toward all the saints. They had enlightenment. They had hope and the coming glory. And he says... Verse 5, remember therefore from whence you are fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto you quickly and remove your candlestick out of his place, except you repent. So, in closing, uh, maybe some other time I'll cover some of these other scriptures, but it says we're to remember, we're to repent, to return to first love, you know, even while the Lord may be found, and to let our light shine and rededicate, to reconsecrate our life and to stir up the gift that will get us through these dark days.